Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live. Beloved, we had a little technical glitch right at the beginning of the program. I'm so sorry. Um, I pray that you're well. I pray you had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. If I sound a little hoarse, it's because I still am. This throat is lingering on, but I'm feeling great, and I'm happy to be with you, and I pray that you're well. And um, if you're home today, because it's President's Day and you haven't been uh, able to listen to the program live, we have been going through the Catechism Explained, the exhaustive explanation of the Catholic faith, of the Catholic religion by uh, Spirago Clark. It's a practical manual for for use of the preacher, the catechist, the teacher, and the family. And it's the Catechism of Trent Explained. It's truly wonderful, and I've suggested before, dear ones, if you get this for your family, um, and if, if Papa, if you could be home at night and gather your entire family together and read just a small portion of this every single day, I think it's an expensive catechism. Um, I need. There's a soft cover edition, and uh, we were able to get it. I I don't think it's it's that expensive, and it's a lifelong treasure. But what you can do as well is listen to the podcast, and you can gather your family at night and um, listen at any time through um, the podcast at Station of the Cross, um, at uh, LifeSite News, at the Facebook pages of both apostolates, at Mother Miriam Live. Oh. Our technology has given us so much. It's so, so wonderful. Um, it's a truly beautiful catechism, trustworthy. Um, and our current catechism is also wonderful and trustworthy. Um, but this is a this was recommended by Father Ripiger um, as just probably the best. And because it has a wonderful explanation, dear parents, so you don't have to be a scholar. This explains the faith for us, for the family. It's so wonderful. So we began with faith in part one, and we went through in, uh, part one of part one, the knowledge of God, and uh, we saw that that consists... Um, uh, let's see now, of three points, and we won't go over them, just kind of reviewing the points. Um, the happiness of the angels and the saints consists in the knowledge of God. If they're happy, it's because they know God. If we're happy, it's because we know God. We don't just know of him through study, through um, our upbringing, but we know him. We have a personal knowledge of him. Number two, the knowledge of God is all important. For without it, there cannot be any happiness on earth or a well-ordered life. And number three, we arrive at a right knowledge of God through faith in the truths which God has revealed. And Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that we who are miserable creatures on earth, um, unhappy, um, is because we've exchanged uh, the truths of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see, but if we know God, it's the 
only road to happiness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So you can know that fact intellectually. You could know about the Trinity, but to know him personally is to have life. To know God, to know who he is, to know his attributes, um, what he has done, um, is to know God. So point one was uh, on faith, and the second is divine revelation. There's so much that faith can tell us, but then the rest we need through divine revelation. There's so much in our faith that the pagan, that the uh, uh, uncivilized human being anywhere in the world can know just because they exist and because God um, has uh, put the knowledge of himself in every single creature who he's created. But then there are other things that we must be told, that we must be shown, that come through God's revealing himself to us. And the Catechism explains, if anyone stands in a room behind... uh, Hold on a second, I have to adjust this so I can see. Okay. If anyone stands in a room behind a gauze curtain, he perceives all those who are passing in the street, and they see him not. But if he makes himself known by speaking, the passers-by are able to recognize him. Such is our relation to God. He sees us, but conceals himself from our eyes. Yes, he has in many ways made himself known to men, to Abraham, to Moses, in the burning bush, to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. So he's made himself known, but in many ways still conceals himself from our eyes. And this has um, several points. The first point is that God has in many ways, in the same course of ages, often revealed himself to men. The writer to the Hebrews talks about that right in the beginning of his letter. God has often communicated to men a knowledge of his perfections, his, um, his decrees, his holy will. Such revelation is called supernatural as opposed to the natural revelation of himself that he makes through the eternal, the external world. So God makes known through the external world. The scriptures say through the creation that he's made, the heavens declare the glory of God through his creation and through us who have within us, built within us, a knowledge of God, that God exists, that there is a God. So first, um, let me see now. Yes, God has in his mercy in the course of ages, often revealed himself to men. And then God's revelation to man is generally made in the following way. He speaks to individuals and orders them to, um, to communicate to their fellow men the revelation made to them. So all through the Old Testament, prior to the revelation of the Son of God, who became man, um, 
God has spoken to individuals primarily through the prophets, sometimes directly as he did the prophets, but also he speaks to them individually. And the writers say, thus God spoke to Abraham, Noah, and Moses. He sent Noah to preach to a sinful um, to sinful men before the flood. And sometimes God spoke to a number of men who were assembled together as when he gave the law to the people on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel. He spoke to them from the mountain. They could not discern what he was saying. His voice simply thundered, and they were um, rightly fearful. And they were told to prepare for him. I, I don't ever like coming to this part of the Old Testament where God spoke to the people of Israel through Mount Sinai without saying this, that God, they could not see God. No one has ever seen God. They could not see God and live. But though they could not see God, Moses, God through Moses, had them prepare for his coming, had them prepare for the fact that he would thunder on Mount Sinai in words they could not understand, but the mountain would smoke and it would shake. And they had to refrain for a good time before our Lord came on the mountain from marital relations, from um, they had to bathe, they had to do all kinds, of, they had to fast, they had to prepare for him. And we, beloved, receive that same God into our bodies in the Eucharist, and we don't prepare, we hardly prepare. I've seen people going up to receive our Lord in the Eucharist, chewing gum, let alone not fasting, but chewing gum, and or other things. Um, being irreverent, being immodest, um, acting as if this were just uh, another moment in a, in a mundane day. Um, it's, it's tragic. And our God is so patient with us, beloved. He is so patient. So God spoke to Abraham, Noah, and Moses. He sent Noah to preach to sinful men before the flood, he sent Moses to the Israelites when they were oppressed by Pharaoh. Sometimes God spoke um, to a number of men who were assembled together as when he gave his law to the people on Mount Sinai or when our Lord was baptized by St. John and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, a voice being heard from heaven. Remember that voice? This is my beloved son. Hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he said. Just I want to make sure that we're okay here. Hold on. Okay, we're good. Sometimes God revealed himself through angels, as, for instance, to Tobias through the archangel Raphael. When God spoke to um, when God spoke to men, He took the visible form of a man or of an angel. God took the visible form of man in the Old Testament, or the visible form of an angel. Jacob spoke with God. God had taken the visible form of an angel. And Jacob wrestled with God, and he said, Jacob said to God, what's your name? And God 
in the form of an angel, said to Jacob, Why do you ask my name, since it is wonderful? In other words, God told him that he was God, because wonderful, full of wonder, is one of God's names. And and Jacob wrestled with God that night, and God dislocated his hip, Jacob's hip, as a souvenir. I don't want that souvenir, but if I spoke with God, I wouldn't mind. Um, um, God dislocated Jacob's hip to give him a souvenir that he would know that his speaking with God was not just a dream, but it was real. And uh, God changed Jacob's name to Israel because Israel means to strive with God. And that's what Jacob did that night. He strove with God. And in the Old Testament, when you have an appearance of God, truly God, not simply an angel, but an angel who is an appearance of God, it's called a theophany, that God has appeared to men, a theophany. Um, And often you'll know that in the Old Testament because if the scripture says that an angel appeared, it's it's an angel, a mere angel, if there's such a thing as a mere angel. But when it says the angel of the Lord... That angel is a pre-incarnate Christ, a pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob, God himself. Sometimes, um, when God spoke to men, he took the visible form of a man or of an angel. It's what I just said. I just got ahead of this a little bit. Or he spoke from a cloud, as on Mount Sinai, or from a burning bush, as he did to Moses, or amid a bright light from heaven, as to St. Peter, or rather to St. Paul. Remember, the, the, Paul was knocked off his horse in such a, such a bright light that it blinded him. Or in the whispering of the wind, as he did to Elias, or by some interior illumination. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Those to whom God revealed himself and who had to bear witness before others to the divine message were called messengers from God. Every angel, beloved, is a messenger of God. Every angel is a messenger of God. The book of Hebrews will tell you more about angels and their uh, ministry and why they exist than any other place in Scripture. Um, often those messages were received from God the power um, let's see from him I'm sorry let me reread the sentence Um, those to whom God revealed himself and who had to bear witness before others to the divine message were called messengers from God and often received from him the power of working miracles and of prophecy in proof of their divine mission. And so we see Moses before Pharaoh. We see those miracles uh, working in Elijah and, and the apostles. Point three here. So point one, God has in his mercy in the course of ages often revealed himself to men. Secondly, God's revelation to man is generally made in the following way, and that is he speaks to individuals and orders them to communicate to their fellow men 
the revelation made to them. Then a third way that we just read. Um, no, no, that we're about to read says this. Those who were specially entrusted with the communication to men of the divine revelation were the following. The patriarchs, the prophets, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his apostles. Excuse me a moment, beloved. Thank you. It's this cold that makes me so dry. <clears throat> the revelation is to mankind in general what education is to individual men. Revelation corresponds to the needs of the success, successive stages of human development to infancy, childhood, youth, and youth of mankind. The patriarchs to the um, the patriarchs who had more of the nature of children. Isn't that beautiful? I love this. The patriarchs who had more of the nature of children needed less in the way of precepts, and God dealt with them in more familiar fashion. That's how you deal with children, in familiar fashion. You don't, you don't give them deep concepts or precepts. The people of Israel, in whom, as the season of youth, um, as in the season of youth, self-will and sensuality were strong, had to be raised by strict laws and constant correction. Listen to how God raised his people, Israel, beloved, just as you raise your children. I'm going to go back to the beginning of this because we, it, it's important to follow this. The patriarchs who had more of the nature of children, this was the beginning of God's um, personal revelation to men, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. The patriarchs who had more of the nature of children, again, in that they were just learning from scratch, so to speak, needed less in the way of precepts. And God dealt with them in more familiar fashion. The people of Israel, in whom, as in the season of youth, self-willed and sensuality was strong, had to be trained by strict laws and constant correction. You need to do that. As, as you, you speak with children very dearly and in familiar fashion, and as children grow and as their wills get stronger, and as they want their own way, and if you know parents, if you let them have their own way, it will be the ruin of that child. Um, and so also, when Israel was in its teenage years, um, God needed to deal with them very strictly and give them his laws and his constant, constant correction. That's what a parent must do with a child. But when mankind had arrived at the period of manhood, then God sent his son and introduced the law, the law of the divine revelation. The son of God was preeminently the true witness. That's what the book of Hebrews says. When God has spoken in past, 
in sundry times and ways through the prophets to his people now speaks to them through a son, through the son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God says to himself, for this our Lord says to himself, um, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world that I should bear testimony to the truth. That's John chapter 18. For this was I born. For this I've come into the world, our Lord said, that I should bear testimony to the truth. He was of all witnesses the best because he alone had seen God. You see, the heavens declare the glory of God. They show that there is a God, that there is a designer, that there is order because design requires a designer. And we know God is a God of order because we see it in the universe. We see it. But only our Lord Jesus Christ could bear testimony to the full truth because he alone is God and has seen God and has been with God. He was of all witnesses the best because he alone had seen God. John chapter 1. The apostles also had to declare to men and above all, I'm sorry, the apostles also had to declare to men the divine revelation. They had to bear witness of what they had seen and above all of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you open the Gospels, beloved, that's what you read, what we have seen, what we have heard, what our eyes have seen. Personally, with the revelation given through Christ and his apostles, the revelation that was given for the instruction of all mankind was concluded. You see, the revelation, beloved, given of Christ and through his apostles concluded the revelation of God, the divine revelation, whether general through creation or specific through Christ and his revealed word, that ended it. Revelation ceased, beloved, with the last apostle. We have what we call the development of faith, but the development of faith cannot contradict what was given with the last apostle. Truth is truth, and truth um, uh, it doesn't develop, but its application and understanding does. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer to St. Jude. O Apostle and Martyr St. Jude, great in virtue and rich in miracles, to you I have recourse from the depth of my heart, and humbly beg you, to whom God has given such great power, to come to my assistance. Help me now in my urgent need, and grant my earnest petition. Amen. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. 
LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Podcasts of our network-produced shows are free for your listening pleasure at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Be uplifted in your faith and inspired to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on our iCatholic Radio mobile app. to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have a whole half hour all to ourselves. You're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. It never needs to be what we're speaking about. The, the heart of the matter is the matter of a, your heart. Call in toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the com. We have an email from Monica, and Monica writes, hold on just a second now. Um, you know what? I don't have, I'm going to have to hold off to take Monica's email for, for a bit, um, and go to an email from, uh, from Hannah, C-H-A-N-A, it sounds like Hannah, uh, who writes, Dear Mother, I am really confused. There is great crying about the lack of vocations, but the long-established communities have no desire to accept older, competent, healthy women. Starting a community or a hermitage meets with obstacle after obstacle, and that often seem that often seems whimsical and based on a bishop's interpretation of what is required. Okay, now let me let me um she says, starting a community or a hermitage meets with obstacle after obstacle that often seems whimsical and based on a bishop's interpretation of what is required. All right, I want to be careful when I read that because the bishops are our shepherds and no community can start without a bishop. Um, and it doesn't need to be the bishop's interpretation because we have documents that... Um, that outline what specifically is needed for a community. And sometimes someone wanting to start a community can help the bishop by bringing that to the bishop. At other times, bishops have, if they're in a larger diocese, um, canon lawyers and others under them who could look into that. Um, and Hannah says, it strikes me that Claire of Assisi would not have been able to start the poor Claire's under the conditions that must be met today. 
it used to be that a woman or man could feel called rather than a few like-minded called people around them gather a few like-minded called people around them and when a sufficient momentum had been built would be able to be functioning would be able to be a functioning community or, or a monastery why is it made so difficult today thank you and bless you well Anna, I'm probably a good one to answer that question, at least in part, because we've been waiting quite a long time uh, for a bishop and diocese to receive us. So, um, so, and 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 uh, and that's that's after a bishop and diocese did receive us, but now we need to be moving on. So, it, I understand many problems involved, but. You know, I've come across uh, um, statistics that say there's over over 50,000 communities, uh, records, rather, of communities in the Vatican offices, of communities who began and never, ever got past the time of the foundress or the founder. In other words, they existed while the person who founded them exists, uh, perhaps one more generation after the founder dies that those who are with him or her would carry on. But then it peters out. Um, uh, Does that mean that person wasn't called and the community should not have begun? Not necessarily. Um, But it's very, um, it's not, let me just say, more common for religious communities to exist after the founder uh, is no longer with them. Um, that doesn't mean that God hasn't called the founder or the foundress and done a work in them, but it may be that it's a work for a particular time um, in the church and may not be intended to last for centuries and centuries. Um, and so uh, even Mother Teresa, she went out on her own with the permission of the church and uh, was able to take in a few women, but it took quite a while for the church uh, the church first said no, and then said yes, blessed be God. So it, it takes time. And um, I've met women, Hannah, who um, who want to start communities, and if I were a bishop, I would be very reluctant to start it with those women with their degree of spirituality or maturity or vision or ability to take in other women. So there's all kinds of factors, all kinds of factors. Um and so that's partially why it's so difficult today. Um, most uh, individuals today don't have the maturity that individual centuries back had. Um, and uh, they don't necessarily have the, the spiritual development. There's so much going on in the church. I think bishops rightly need to be careful. And the, the, the proper way of starting a community that I understood, at least what we followed when we began, is not to do anything apart from the bishop. Personally, I would not want to do a thing apart from a bishop. Where the bishop is, there is the church. And so uh, most bishops, if you come to them and say, we'd like to do this, we'd like to start this, um, they could say, go ahead. Excuse me. That would be the proper, as as a private association, not public, but private association of the faithful now, um, go ahead and live your gifts out. You could live in community. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, 
but they're not yet a religious community. They are a private association of the faithful. And any group of people, to my understanding, uh, with any sort of apostolate, religious community or not, can get together as a lay association of the faithful. Any group of people could get together um, under the bishop's eye or approval or watch um, and begin a ministry. And then after six months or more, if the bishop sees that this seems to be of the Holy Spirit, seems to be bearing fruit, then he can take it further. And that's what I understand was the process and perhaps should be the process. So um, it, it's ver- various reasons why it's difficult today, Hannah, but um, some of it might be the general pressure a bishop is in to do something like that. Um, it may be requirements the church has put on him and on new communities that he's not, that the community is not ready to meet yet, all kinds of things. But I'll tell you this, Dehana, if it's of God, it will happen. If it is of God, it will happen. Um, I can tell you that. If it is of God, no bishop, no law, no rule, nothing will stand in the way. It will happen. There's the music for our second break, beloved. It's a short break. We'll be back with you soon, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. To iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download to your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Morning, morning. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. It's our last segment. We have 15 minutes together, and I would be delighted to receive your calls. If you wish to call in live, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or to email at mother at thestationofthecross.com, and you can text at that toll-free number as well. We have a text from uh, someone who writes in anonymously and says, Good morning, Mother. My boyfriend and I have been discussing the possibility of having a Josephine marriage. What is your take slash opinion of it? Um, thank you for all you do. Listening to you has made my rough day so much better. Oh, I'm, I'm happy for that. Thank you. We encourage one another. That's what the scripture says we should do. And it's a wonderful thing when that happens. Well, if you were live on the air, my dear one, I would ask you why. Uh, you're considering a Josephine marriage or Josephite marriage. I'm not quite sure uh, which way it's uh, uh, spelled. But um, that's it's a, certainly a possibility. And when two people um, uh, have a mission in life and a calling from God and they have a particular service to God the rest of their lives uh, together th- and they wish a Josephite marriage, um, because God has called them to do this and not to have children, um, I think it's a wonderful thing. But it's not simply for convenience for the couple. It's not that you would get married and um, just don't want children and will live your life in other ways, reaching out to people. Uh, no, a marriage needs to be open to life. I... I could be corrected, please don't hesitate to correct me, but um, but this is a, has to be a calling, uh, that God has called two people together uh, who will not procreate, who will not bear the fruit of their marriage in, in uh, offspring of children. So um, uh, my opinion of Josephite marriage is that it's a, it's a high calling for very few people. But it has to be God's calling for the husband and the wife for a particular mission, for a particular service. That's my understanding of it. So if you're young and you have your whole lives ahead of you and you simply don't want children, that would not be the reason for a Josephite marriage. Uh, We have a text from somebody who writes it anonymously and says, Dear Sister Miriam, when a person who is dying donates an organ to be transplanted into another human being, does that person really die if his or her organ lives in another human being? Whose soul is in the transplanted organ? Okay. Um, God does not put souls, uh, their one, into transplanted organs or into organs. He puts them into people. He created Adam and Eve, and he breathed into Adam, and uh, he gave Adam a soul uh, and um, a life-giving soul, and and Adam became a man, a, a human being. So uh, it's not the parts of our bodies that have souls. 
it as an entire created human being in the womb of our mother, um, we are given a soul by God. At the moment of, of uh, conception, God puts a soul in that human being. And if one of uh, the organs of that human being are transferred to, the, to another person, um, that the person to whom they're transferred to uh, remains alive. And the soul remains the soul of that person. Uh, the, the soul of the, the person who's deceased does not transfer to another person. Only the physical organs transfer, not a soul. We don't transfer souls from one person to another. So it's only, again, um, uh, the particular organ, uh, the heart, liver, whatever the organ is that's transferred, um, apart from the soul. The person who is the receptor of that organ uh, has a soul, and the, the new liver or the new organ will not, um, um, will not touch that at all. That soul remains in that person. I hope I haven't said that in such a confusing way you cannot understand it. If, if I have, then, then go ahead and text again. Um, let's see now... Um, we have a text from someone who writes in anonymously. Um, Sister Miriam, I'm listening right now to your YouTube video about aborted babies in vaccines. Thank you so much for addressing this topic. Also, I have another question for you. So that wasn't a question, beloved. There's somebody listening to a, a past podcast and um, uh, about the fact that... Um, um, babies are uh, uh, much of what is used from aborted babies is used to produce um, vaccines for chickenpox and and other things, which is uh, which is abominable. It's not a good thing. Um, she says, "I have another question for you. Do you think it is necessary to eat animal products?" Do you think it is necessary to eat animal products? No, I don't think it's necessary. And then she or he says, if it's not necessary, what do you make of this quote from the catechism? Quote, it is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. Should all Catholics be vegan? God bless. Oh, my goodness, that's quite a... Um, that's quite a question. Um, uh, let me see now. If um, Do you think it's necessary to eat animal products? No, it's not necessary. Um, and if it's not, um, what do you make of the catechism saying it is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly? Should all Catholics be vegan? God bless. Um, for an animal to suffer or die needlessly is what's cruel. To kill and eat is not ha to have an animal suffer needlessly. God told Noah to kill and eat. Uh, mankind since the days of Noah on have been, the animals have been our food. That's not a needless death on the part of the animals. They're, they're, God gave them to us for our food. The fact that he didn't give us the animals prior to the fall is another matter, but God gave us the animals as our substance, so they are not killed needlessly. They are food. 
um, and uh, has has nothing to do with aborted babies, uh, vaccines made from aborted babies. I'm not sure if I'm understanding your question, but again, if we if we go to the supermarket, a, a meat shop, and we buy meat, uh, those animals have not been caused to die needlessly. They have provided, been provided for us as our food. Um, all of creation, beloved, is provided for us and for our sustenance. All of creation is. Um, all right. We have another email from Lisa. I, I'm sure I didn't do a good job on that, but uh, I know it's not needless. Uh, God has given us our provisions. Um, whatever we grow, whatever we kill, whatever we cook, whatever we formulate, it's not needless. It's it's to feed uh, Jesus himself um, ate meat. And so it, it's it's not needless. It is for our sustenance. Um uh, that we kill and eat, so to speak. Um, okay, Lisa says, hold on a moment. Sorry, look, beloved, hold on. She says, I hope you're doing well. I watch LifeSite News on YouTube. I am pro-life. Good. I know the Catholic Church is pro-family. Absolutely. I know some of the teachings because I was Catholic until about the age of 12, my parents are Catholic, but they are not really practicing. Oh, that's such a tragedy when someone says they're Catholic and they're not practicing. Anyhow, Lisa says, my parents divorced when I was 12. During my childhood, my dad was hardly around, and he cheated on my mom. This is awful. He asked for a divorce when I was 11 so he could be free. After the divorce, he did not emotionally support me, etc. He wasn't really there for me. It's always been that way. Anyhow, now Lisa says, I'm almost 40. This still hurts a lot. I understand that, Lisa. Um, uh, my dad went to Catholic school his whole adult life and says he's Catholic. Um... But it doesn't show. Because of what happened, I suffer with sadness and anxiety. A therapist helped me accept it, but the heartbreak lingers on. It has caused me a lot of problems in my life. I forgive him even though he never apologized, but my heart is in so much pain. I don't really talk to him. I haven't seen him since I was 21. I talk to him a few times a year. I call on him. Um, but he is never home. I call him, but he is never home. I am his only child. I cry all the time because of the past. Not having my dad around was hard. How can this happen to anyone that is supposed to be Catholic? My Catholic stepdad is even worse than my dad, but not by adultery. He is verbal. Um... Uh, he is verbally and emotionally abusive. How can these people miss the Catholic teachings? I am pretty sure they couldn't even take communion in a Catholic church if the priests knew. Anyhow, it's hard to part to put this all in an email. I'm just hurt. I can tell you, I can tell you care about people. I would love your advice. 
why do Catholic people do this? The Catholic Church does not teach it. And please tell me what I can do to heal my broken heart. Thank you very much for your time, Lisa. Lisa, um, this is heartbreaking. My dearest sister, this is heartbreaking. And it is repeated hundreds of thousands of times. It's absolutely tragic. But it's repeated hundreds of thousands of times. Your dad and your mom are not Catholic. They can call themselves Catholic. They can even practice whatever that means, but they're not Catholic. They're not Catholic. Um, A Catholic person is someone who believes what the Catholic Church teaches and who is transformed by the very Spirit of God. Um, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments... Then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And his first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We need to love one another. Excuse me. Your dad, your stepdad, your mom, in in what you've written, do not show signs of being alive with the Spirit of God, that the Spirit lives in them. And so you're hurt by fallen human beings, you're not hurt by Catholics, Lisa, excuse my uh, hiccups. You're not hurt by Catholic people. You're hurt by pe- by people who call themselves Catholic, but they're not. And when they call themselves Catholic, they may even go to church on Sunday, um, then you expect them to be loving. You expect them to care. You expect them to live their their faith, but they don't, and that's very hurtful. Lisa, if you truly are Catholic yourself, if you love God, if you live the faith, go before God and beg for the conversion of your family. If you continue to expect Catholic life from them and love and Catholic morality and virtue, oh, I'm so sorry for my hiccups, excuse me, you'll continue to be hurt. And it's not them that are hurting you. It's your expectation of them that are hurting you, Lisa. What you need to do, sweetheart, is get together with a good holy spiritual director, with a good group of Catholic people who love their faith, and together let them pray for your parents, excuse me, your dad, your stepdad, your mom, to be converted. Your folks need to be converted. They're, they're, they're hurting you because... Um, They're fallen, and they don't have the Spirit of God controlling their lives. You need to pray for them, beloved. You need to reach out to other people, become part of a ministry, become part of an outreach to hurting people. You'll you'll understand. You'll understand them, and you'll be able to help them. So, dear Lisa, you have every reason to be unhappy, but you have a greater reason to walk in the happiness of Christ, to know that he's given you all things pertaining to life and godliness and our happiness. If it depends upon people or circumstances, we will be most miserable. If it depends upon the love of God for us and our love for him, we will be happy. We will be at peace. God bless you. We'll speak with you all tomorrow.